From the Teaching and Learning Collaborative at the Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston, Massachusetts, I'm Josh Luckins, instructional designer and host of the CoLab podcast, where we dive deep into the art and science of teaching and learning. I'm joined today by Megan Hamilton Giebert, instructional designer and the esteemed editor of this very podcast. Megan, welcome to the CoLab. Thanks, Josh. It's great to be here. Great to have you. And uh, we have been working together, you and I, on a project called the Guilt-Free Book Club, inviting faculty and staff from the Colleges of the Fenway, which is a small consortium of colleges here in our little Fenway neighborhood of Boston, to get together and read, read a book. And we've been reading Teach Students How to Learn, Strategies You Can Incorporate into Any Course to Improve Student Metacognition, Study Skills, and Motivation by Dr. Sandra McGuire. And we were just reading chapter eight, and in our group we had this fantastic discussion uh, about it. Chapter eight is what faculty can do to boost motivation, positive emotions, and learning. So Megan, how was it that we came to the this idea of like, we need to do this as a podcast episode? Well, Josh, I think you could say we are very motivated to share some of the wisdom from this book and this chapter with you. And Ooh. if you are unable, to join us at the book club, we are happy to continue the discussion of motivation today and to hopefully present the strategies in an accessible and quick, easy to digest format. And it's so important because so many of our faculty that we work with are like, man, I just wish you know my students would just be more into it and more uh, excited about this stuff because then they would just do so much better. They'd have so much more uh, commitment and energy to move forward. And these, the strategies that Sandra McGuire puts forth in this chapter are all about intrinsic motivation. And she's inspired by an educational psychologist named James Ruffini, who in 1995 published a book called 150 Ways to Increase Intrinsic Motivation in the Classroom. And his book was focused more on K through 12, but Dr. McGuire takes his strategies and brings them into the higher ed space. And uh, I just think it's, it's wonderful. I mean, 150 strategies. Wow, that's a lot of strategies, right? That is. And I don't think we'll be getting to all 150 of Ruffini's strategies today, but maybe on our next episode. On our next episode, that's okay. right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Sondra McGuire actually breaks it down into, into 20 strategies. So we're going to do a little fun kind of one minute per strategy game together. And as, as we get into that, <clears throat> the 20 strategies are divided up into five different categories because James Ruffini kind of comes to this conclusion that there's five bases that form intrinsic motivation in the classroom, how to get learners intrinsically motivated. And those bases are autonomy, competence, belonging, self-esteem, involvement, and enjoyment. So those, those are his five bases, and Sandra McGuire's divided these up and, and actually laid out specific strategies under each category that faculty can, can pick and choose from and implement and try out in their class to just try and get students more, more excited and more involved in the work that they're doing. And, and also, I, you know, I was thinking as we got into this, back to Dan Pink, who exactly. is a huge, a huge uh, expert in this field, and, and I know you've read his book, so... Yeah, Dan Pink uh, came to mind, too, when I was looking at these structures, uh, this autonomy, competence, um, belonging, self-esteem, involvement, enjoyment, uh, and they relate heavily to Dan Pink's theory 
of intrinsic motivation, which divides it into three categories of, I think, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And so I can see elements of those constructs within this uh, current framework that we have. And I think this framework is a little more relevant to higher education and a little more actionable for what you can do in the classroom. So turning it into an action item for your classroom environment. But I do like the simplicity and elegance of uh, Dan Pink's model, which is a little more common, I think, in business professions. Absolutely. And he's also a, a researcher into human psychology and to, into basically what motivates people. And one of his findings is that for tasks that involve higher order thinking, um, kind of those things up in the upper part of Bloom's taxonomy pyramid, like creative tasks, synthesis, analysis, the, the kinds of um, <clears throat> autonomy, mastery, and purpose, these, these motivating, intrinsically motivated factors allow people to, to do better and take ownership over and how, have people be more successful on these types of tasks. Whereas kind of extrinsic motivators are better at getting people to maybe memorize something or kind of the, the lower order thinking. So that, that also kind of plays into just how, how learning works, as it were. Um, but I, as you said, Rafini kind of takes them and puts them more in that educational context for learners in classrooms, as opposed to something that could be applied you know, across the board in workplaces or, or various contexts. So let's just introduce our strategies here. So we have three under enhancing autonomy. The first three strategies we're gonna talk about are under enhancing autonomy. And our fantastic software engineer, Ben, is going to set a timer for one minute. And Megan and I are gonna have one minute to talk about each of these 20 strategies that connect to each five of these uh, Rafini's bases for intrinsic motivation, plus one bonus strategy at the end. So are we ready, folks? We were born ready. Ben's ready, Megan's ready. The world is ready. All right, get ready for this timer. We're gonna go to our first category from Rafini's five bases, enhancing autonomy as an intrinsic motivator. Sandra McGuire's first strategy is to allow students to choose the topics that they're going to discuss in their papers or projects and student choice is huge. It's so important because that way students can be really excited about whatever the topic is. And if the learning objectives are not specifically about that exact topic, students can take it and run with it. And really, you as a professor will learn a ton from them, from what the students bring in their explorations. So allowing students to have that type of autonomy and choice can be really impactful at uh, increasing their engagement and motivation. Yeah, student choice is a great way to building student agency and student um, self-directed self learning in the course. Uh, if you want to get your students excited and eager and motivated to learn new things in your course, it's great to find a way to help them get involved on their own terms. All right, our next strategy under enhancing autonomy is to do a weekly goal setting exercise with your students. Now, I know what you're thinking, instructors. Wait, I already do enough in my course. I don't want to add another exercise, and I especially don't want to add something that's graded. Well, the good news is you don't have to grade it. You can help students build um, their own autonomy in the course just by doing this as an in-class activity, giving it a goal that they can um, define maybe within the first minute of your class or the first minute of your first week of class and then they become responsible for bringing it uh, to meetings after that. 
And this goes back to metacognition. You empower students with the tools of understanding where they're going and understanding how they can get there. They'll be a lot more autonomous learners and be able to transfer everything they're doing in the classroom beyond the classroom and beyond even your course. Our next strategy is to discuss attribution theory with your students. So attribution theory talks about if there's a stimulus, something comes and happens to me, right? I do poorly on a test. I could attribute it to factors external to my control, be like, oh, that professor, they just put confusing questions on it. Or I could attribute it to internal factors. Man, I could have studied in a different way or, or, or whatever it is. So if we discuss that attribution theory, students can understand, oh my gosh, metacognitively, here's what I'm doing. Here's the patterns of thought that I have. I tend to put the blame outside or always take the blame on myself and actually examine whether that's true in a given context. Yeah, this discussion of attribution may not be something your students have experienced before, so you really have the opportunity to lead your students through a change in the way of how they think about uh, what they can do in order to help their own learning, rather than just receiving their learning and the circumstances with it. We are nailing these timings, Josh. Let's keep on going with the next category, enhancing competence. There are six strategies here, and the first one is to give clear expectations, both within your syllabus and with particular assignments. So this can help build competence because your students never have to wonder exactly what they need to do in order to succeed in your course. If you've got it up front in your syllabus of there are this many points in the course, this, this is how many points you need in order to earn a good grade, and here are the assignment instructions that spell out exactly what you need to do in order to pursue that grade on each activity and how each activity influences that grade. Uh, this is about building transparency in the classroom up front. So letting students know that success is possible and making it clear what they can do. And this reminds me of our last podcast topic, tilt or transparency in learning and teaching and all of those ways that you can set out the purpose, task, and how it's gonna be assessed to let students set them up for success. And speaking of success, provide early opportunities for success in your course, in your units, in your modules, every day in class so that students have that feeling of competence. Because when people feel like they just, oh, they can't get it, it's too hard, they just are more, they're more dismotivated. They're more readily able to, you know, going to give up. But if they have those early moments of, yeah, okay, I can do this, I can do that. Well, when they're faced with a challenge, they're more likely to approach it head on and actually tackle it. So those early moments of success you can design in and really uh, increase that, that intrinsic motivation for students in that way. Yeah, if you're struggling with what this looks like, think about the first assignment in your course, the first graded activity in your course, and think about the grades you typically see on that. And um, would that be an achievable grade? Uh, is there, do students feel like success is possible on that early opportunity? And this one, this one segues perfectly into the next strategy of testing early and often. And again, I know what you're thinking, but I don't have time to add another test. Well, you don't have time not to add another test, honestly. If students want to succeed in your course, but you're only giving them two opportunities to succeed, a midterm in the middle of the semester and a final at the end, uh, they're not going to be able to practice the skills they need in order to master the concepts on those tests. So testing early and often means giving them small, low-stakes assessments. Uh, throughout the term where they can continue to build 
uh, their experience so that they can master those bigger projects. And it doesn't even have to be a test or a quiz. These types of assessments, formative assessments, can take any number of different shapes and forms. It doesn't have to kind of have that traditional test look, but it's just about giving students opportunities and moments to show what they know in a variety of ways early and often. Next strategy is to use a part of a class session to present metacognitive learning strategies. So a lot of students come from high school and they, they don't know how to study. They don't know how to learn. They equate just memorizing and reading the textbook with what it is to learn. But here you are asking them to take material and apply it in complex ways and all of a sudden they get a poor grade on the test because they just aren't studying the right way. They aren't practicing in the right way. They're not approaching homework as a chance to fail and, and, and get feedback and actually figure out what's wrong and solve problem solve. Um, and, and so you can actually teach them how to empower them to succeed in the classroom, in your classroom, and going forward using some of these strategies. Yeah, this strategy is definitely a return on investment sort of strategy where it can seem risky to take a valuable class session away from instructional time, but the benefits of this do outweigh the cost of it. Moving on to our next strategy, do a one to two minute interactive activity for every 10 to 15 minutes of class. And this one relates not only to competence, but to another topic that Josh and I are passionate about, active learning. Uh, I think Josh is fond of saying that the students learning the most in the classrooms are the ones who are the most active in the classroom. I may have, I may have paraphrased a little bit from you there. Uh, but essentially, getting out of the traditional lecture mentality of you presenting information to students and students just passively absorbing and interpreting what you're saying. Uh, it really takes students interacting with the content and interacting with their peers in order to learn and master the concepts you're presenting. And psychology shows that after 10 to 15 minutes, our brains start to tune out and don't take in as much. So literally, uh, if you keep talking, they're not gonna be able to take, in, take it in. So break it up and have people do something interactive. Next strategy is providing targeted feedback using rubrics and examples, uh, samples, and you know this is what a, a version looks like, or here's three versions. Why don't you use the rubric to actually determine which is the A, which is the C, and which is the F? And, and those types of uh, examples, um, rubrics that really break down what the assignment's gonna be looking for, and also feedback that's not just general or giant red pens over everything, but specific and targeted. For this paper, I'm gonna be you know, uh, giving you feedback on X thing, and next time on Y thing, and that's what really we're gonna be focused on. That can really be useful to students to understand where to look and where to, to begin to, to take your feedback and do things with it. Yeah, my favorite part of this strategy is the exemplars, um, especially if you can get permission from previous students to share some of the exemplary work that's been done in previous courses. That's a great way to build competence for your current students and show them, hey, look at this cool stuff that was created. You can do this too. Moving on to our next category of enhancing belonging and relatedness in the classroom. First strategy up is using a metacognitive get acquainted activity. Now, typically in your first class sections, as your students are just getting to know to each other, you may do some sort of introductory activity. Uh, what Sondra McGuire mentions here is doing a little metacognitive spin on it and helping your students be introduced not only to each other, but also the concept of metacognition and the idea of you may be novices in this topic now, but 
here's where we could be by the end of the semester based on the learning strategies you adopt during the term. And speaking of enhancing belonging, uh, my grad school professor, Bethany Nelson, the same one who said um, the person, most active person in the room is doing, the one doing the most learning is the one who said that uh, belonging is going to increase outcomes for marginalized students. Hit that minute. So <laughs> the next one is uh, assigning authentic real world projects. So authentic assessment is a huge topic, but essentially it boils down to um, if students feel like this could have an impact in the real world or reflect something that really is happening, they'll be a lot more motivated to take part in it meaningfully. So I just went to a webinar about students actually um, editing, learning how to edit Wikipedia entries and learning all the research that goes into that or uh, other types of things that involve being out in the community and working with, with people in real life, um, projects that are actually going to have an impact. Yeah, what I like about this strategy is it's something that both faculty and students want. We want the classroom experiences to match real world experiences. And then this is also something that businesses and companies and organizations want. They want their students that they're hiring to have some real world experience under the belt to know how to translate skills in the classroom into the quote unquote real world. Moving on to the third strategy in this category, promoting cooperative or group learning. When you, when you do group learning, you have a great opportunity to take advantage of using student-to-student -student interactions to enhance learning. That's really what this is all about. If you've got uh, students not learning as individuals, but as a group and being able to contribute knowledge to that group to help everybody understand it better. Yeah, and th there's this whole field, this whole idea of peer learning, and it's based on this research that shows that novice learners, people who are just forming these new neural connections in their brain, are a lot more effective at explaining uh, explaining these new concepts to other novice learners in ways that can help them understand immediately than experts who have all of this rich background. And so giving the students an opportunity to learn from each other is a really powerful technique to help them master the content. On to our next uh, category from Rafini, which is enhancing self-esteem. And of course, if people feel good about themselves, good about the material, feel related to it, that they belong to it, well then they're going to be a lot more intrinsically motivated to dive in. So the first strategy that Sandra McGuire proposes is um, really from her book, which is discussing mindset and emotions, the role of emotions in learning, and the role of um, growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, which kind of goes back into attribution theory and making students aware of, you know, giving them the opportunity to metacognitively be aware of when, when do I have a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset and how can I maybe shift that little by little vis-a-vis -vis this topic? I think this is especially important for uh, debunking stereotypes sometimes associated with certain studies. For example, it's fairly common to say, but I'm not a math person. Well. That's a, that's a mindset issue. Um, math is something that can be taught. Math is something you can grow into. So you have the power to affect change for students in that mindset. Moving on to our next one. Letting students know that you are human, revealing your struggles in reaching your current level of mastery. This one may be difficult for some instructors or anyone who works with students to recognize at first, but the value of this is reminding students that you too have grown into the current role that you're in. You were once upon a time a novice in this field and over time became an expert due to how you pursued this topic. And the great thing about this is you can use some autonomy in terms of what you decide to share. 
like we're never going to ask you to share things you don't want to share with your students. Um, if you want to use a non-academic example of skills and growth, uh, you're welcome to. And this goes into the, the whole idea of imposter syndrome, which is huge everywhere. People just feeling like they don't personally belong. And debunking that. And, and, and our next strategy we've already kind of touched on, but it is providing early opportunities for success. So I just wanted to tie that, that into what we've been talking about. So this whole thing of, of being authentic in the classroom, whether it's offering authentic assessments or just authentically sharing your, who you are in your journey and that you uh, are not this you know, perfect uh, paragon of, of academic uh, achievement at all times, humanizes the experience and allows students to feel like they can be their authentic selves and fail and you know, as, as a, a necessary on the path to success. And, and going along with that, just what I, what I ran out of time before to talk about um, was just how the, this type of thing can be so useful for students from traditionally marginalized backgrounds. It helps everyone, but really for equitable student success, this is key. The last topic in this category is reflection activities, doing reflection activities with students. This is a great way for students to not only reflect on their growth, but also how their learning has changed uh, during the semester. And uh, activity that comes to mind is doing a learning journal where students could write weekly entries that kind of chronicle their progress and then asking them to look back on those entries and kind of synthesize them at the end of the semester so they can see their progression throughout the term. It's huge because oftentimes when we're in the trenches of learning, we don't realize what we're getting out of it at the time, but if we're able to have that record, kind of a artifact or make your thinking made visible, you can then look back and realize the journey you've been on and um, what you've actually gotten out of the, your involvement in this course. All right, we're moving on to our last category from Ruffini's uh, stages of intrinsic motivation, which is enhancing involvement and enjoyment. And, and Sandra McGuire's first tip is, of course, to connect to students' interests. Makes a lot of sense, right? If, if, if whatever it is that you're doing, you can provide analogies, examples, or applications to things that the students are intrinsically motivated about, they'll be intrinsically motivated to dive deeper into what you're doing in class. I like this strategy, but I'm a little skeptical of it if you, as an instructor, can't go about it authentically. It kind of has the how do you do fellow kids meme aspect to it. Um, so if you're struggling with how to connect with your students, I would challenge your students to try to bring the connections themselves. You know, if you're struggling to come up with a perfect analogy, um, maybe your students could, could be able to make those connections from your interests to theirs and vice versa. I think that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Next up is one of my favorite concepts on this list, one of the favorite strategies of switch days, uh, when students have the opportunity to teach and evaluate another student's teaching. A uh, couple examples in this chapter that come to mind are, I think, a, a teaching on the spot day where any student who shows up on this Friday could be called up and asked to present a one-minute topic uh, to kind of give students the opportunity to present in front of each other and to perform their learning, perform their mastery in front of uh, other students. And this strategy and, and the previous thing that Megan you were saying really connects to this idea of constructivism, that students have to be active, making, active meaning makers. They have to be the ones building the knowledge for themselves in their own mind. And when students have the opportunity to teach 
the the content or try and and put it into their own words they have to do that they have to build deeper levels of understanding in order to communicate it to others our next strategy for enhancing involvement and enjoyment is to play learning games so not everything has to be um, you know a game kind of like traditionally you might see Kahoot or one of these quiz games those are, are fantastic but there's all sorts of ways to and I hate to use the word gamify maybe we'll do another podcast about that because that kind of to me has like a behaviorist tint to it um, and, and but there's all sorts of ways to be playful and involve um, play and fun and and, and that type of engagement in your class. If you think about it, you talk about motivation. Students are highly motivated to play video games because they're fun and they, <laughs> they're interactive in that way. So what if you could do that in your class? And you can. Yeah, gamification is another favorite topic. I'd love to do another podcast on it. But the core of it is finding the elements of games that make them so enticing and bringing them into your learning activities. So the element of chance, the element of cooperation, collaboration, strategy, bring that into your class activities. Last but not least in this category, give students a question or task at the beginning of class that they will be required to answer or execute by the end of class. This is a good way to promote interest maybe in the subject matter at hand. So before you dive into the lecture, giving students a problem or question that can be answered by paying close attention to that lecture. Uh, this is a good way to hook their interest and attention and also provides a really practical way that they could use uh, what you're about to teach them. Absolutely. And if I were a student, I would feel kind of like Sherlock Holmes, like, oh, cool. Now there's this kind of, it's almost like a game. There's a detective search going on. Where am I going to find this thing? Or what connections am I going to make? And having, uh, as a learner, having kind of a frame that I'm already looking through with that big picture to be able to fill in the details is a fantastic way for me to have context and be able to learn more effectively. And special bonus, Woo! last strategy is to partner with your campus learning center. And here at Wentworth, we have the Success Studio, which does a lot of tutoring, both peer tutoring and tutors from you know, outside of campus. Um, and they have all sorts of resources. And then our group, of course, also the Teaching and Learning Collaborative, we partner both with faculty, with staff, and even with students who want to um, you know, basically design any sort of experience in which someone's going to learn something, be trained at something, um, you know, gain expertise at something, we're, we're happy to help you uh, design those types of learning experiences in dynamic and engaging ways. Yeah, the core, the core of this strategy is that um, learning does not occur alone and neither does teaching. And so we, as TLC, are partners to your best teaching and the Success Studio is equipped to help your students succeed, a common goal that we share at the university. Oh, wow. Well, Megan. I'm so worn out. Take a deep breath. I mean, oh my goodness. what a, what a uh, marathon. Yes. 21 minutes, 21 dings, 21 strategies. We stayed on task pretty well. You yeah. Know, we, we've, we've fudged a little of the boundaries, but uh, overall, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of our work. I, I hope Sandra McGuire would be proud. I hope James Ruffini would be proud. Um, Dan Pink is smiling wherever he is somewhere. right now. Exactly. Anyway, we talked a little... Well, we talked a lot. That's really what happened. But <laughs> with 21 strategies here to consider and to mull over, um, I do want to offer a disclaimer that Dr. McGuire offers in her book as well, which is that this is a buffet of strategies. So we don't want you to think that 
in order to be a successful instructor, you have to use every single one of these. And if you don't, Megan and Josh will cry. Instead, <laughs> uh, Sandra McGuire suggests thinking of this as a buffet. So pick and choose the strategies that uh, seem most interesting to you, might make the most sense for your learning subjects or for your learning students. Uh, what group of students are you working with? Uh, what issues are you seeing with some of their motivation? And, and how can you plug into that to try to remedy that? Exactly. And I just love the end of this chapter. Sandra McGuire has a title that says, but I don't have time to do all that. Neither do I. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, no <laughs> one's saying that you're going to implement 21 strategies all at once. That, that doesn't make any sense. You know, choose one or two that resonate with you, that feel like that would be authentic for you and that might work for your students, and try them out. See how it goes. Experiment with it. Add one new thing, one new twist, one new way for students to engage with the material that, that might spark their intrinsic motivation. And we know that when students, learners, are intrinsically motivated, they're going to take things way farther than you, know, than you possibly could imagine uh, in any other context. So... Let's wrap up. What do you say, Megan? Sounds good to me. This has been very enjoyable. I liked this gamified approach that we took to this topic of motivation. I hope we've uh, inspired uh, you to try out some new things in your next semester. Yeah, I, I hope so too. And, and I will just add one more thing that Sandra McGuire says, which is that basically um, in her 40 years in higher ed, she's noticed that some faculty who do decide to kind of try some of these additions, these at, you know plus ones, I guess, to their teaching toolbox and strategies find that even though it might take a little more time at the beginning of the semester, it actually pays dividends because at the end they end up moving faster and going deeper because students are kind of primed both with intrinsic motivation and with these metacognitive skills. So that is a, a, a really big benefit that hopefully you too will find as you uh, try some of these things out. And if you do try them out, or if you want our help in figuring out how to try them out, um, let us know, be in touch. Our email is teach at wit.edu. That's teach at wit.edu. Megan Hamilton Gebert, thanks so much for joining me today on the, the Collab. Josh Luckins, thanks for having me. It was a joy. And Megan Hamilton Gebert is our editor. Thanks so much to Ben for uh, being the sound engineer today. And I am Josh Lawkins, so excited to be here in a studio, not on Zoom, so happy to be here hosting the Collab podcast, which is a production of our fantastic instructional design team at the Teaching and Learning Collaborative here at the Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston, Massachusetts. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, stay curious. this whole time. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> <laughs> One can only hope. <laughs>